Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. Rich Schmidt. We're here with Cheryl Longshore. It's uh, June 12th, 2023. We're at the Nicholson Library at Linfield University in McMinnville. And Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, The first question is why wine? (laughs) Well, uh, wine, uh, my husband always said wine is an art and he was looking for an outlet for uh, his creative side. to go along with his his other job. And so uh, we had started uh, sampling wine in the 70s and uh, dabbled a little bit in making wine, had some really awful stuff that we made from from concentrates and different things. And uh, we signed up to go on the the wine tour that the uh, Oregon wine growers had uh, in the, oh, about 1977, I think. Uh, They called it a harvest tour. And we were up at Amity listening to Myron Redford talking about his new winery, Amity Vineyards. And Glenn went up to him afterwards to ask for advice about making wine, better wine, as a home winemaker. Well, Myron flashed his biggest smile, put his arm around Glenn and said, gee, the way I learned about winemaking was by volunteering at a winery. <laughs> Are you free tomorrow morning? <laughs> and so Glenn and I too volunteered, but mostly Glenn, uh, volunteered during crush and uh, bottling and at wine festivals uh, for several years there, decided that this is something that maybe we could do. And uh, uh, so in, in 1979, we sold our house and bought property in Polk County for a vineyard and winery. Uh, later that turned out to, uh, to be only a winery because we decided we were not into farming. <laughs> uh, and there were lots of grapes available to buy from small vineyards, and so that's what we decided to do. Um, We were the first bonded winery in Polk County in 1981. Um, Ellendale started shortly thereafter. They were bonded that same year, but we had the lowest number. (laughs) And uh, that first year we bought uh, grapes from uh, Bethel Heights Vineyard, it was before they started their winery. And like everyone else in Oregon at that time, we made Pinot Noir. We made the first Polk County Appalachian Pinot Noir, 1981, from Bethel Heights. And we also made a Pinot Noir Blanc, a Pinot Noir Rosé, and a light red that we called Fruité, which was also Pinot Noir. Uh, we made some Chenin Blanc that year, and, uh, and that was also from Bethel Heights. The winter of that year, we were approached by Archie Meadows from Meadows Vineyard down at Halsey uh, about a wine that he had made as a home winemaker called Marichal Foch from that grape variety. And uh, he thought it would make a dynamite commercial wine. <laughs> and so we made an agreement with him to try it out. 
and uh, it did make a great red wine, a heavy, heavier red than Pinot Noir, which was uh, not, there weren't too many big reds like that made in Oregon at that time. And so uh, starting in 1982, we made Marichal Foch. We had, gosh, I don't even remember how many cases, but it wasn't very much. And then <clears throat> gradually increased as uh, more grapes became available. And Archie did plant more Marichal Foch because we said we wanted more. And we decided that Pinot Noir was not going to be our thing. We wanted to be unique. And so we branched out into some varieties that not very many or nobody was making. I mean, nobody was making Marichal Foch when we started. Uh, there are a few others that started making it um, after that. Uh, but that became our main wine. Uh, and then we also made Mueller Turgau. Uh, and I think we bought grapes from Archie Meadows for that and also some other, another uh, vineyard down by Eugene. That's how we got started. We'll pick it back up there in a second. Let's, I want to talk about life before that, though. So tell me about where you were born and raised and sort of life before wine for you. Well, I, I was born in Salem, and uh, my, my dad was the uh, manager of the Commercial Street Safeway store when it opened up brand new in, in the 1940s, after the war. And uh, he was transferred to Portland, and then he decided that he didn't want to live in the big city, so we moved to Corvallis. And that's where I, my, most of my school years were spent. And uh, after I graduated from high school, I did not go to Oregon State. I went to the University of Oregon, and uh, I have a degree in elementary education from there. And then uh, met my husband there, Glenn, uh, and we got married. Uh, in 1970, applied to graduate school uh, at a couple of schools in the Midwest, and Glenn was accepted as a, a teaching or a graduate assistant at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana, in the uh, education department. And so I, I applied to the library school there, and I was accepted there. And so we we went far away from our families for a whole year after we were married, and I think it was probably a good good thing for our marriage uh, to be dependent on each other. And we got our degrees in a year there, and um, wanted to get back to the West Coast. Um, and so uh, Glenn began applying for uh, positions uh, as a media specialist to uh, places in Oregon, Washington, uh, Idaho. And then he said, well, what about Alaska? That's west. And I said, sure. And I thought, no, we'll never go there. <laughs> but we did. <laughs> that was the first offer he got was uh, to, be, to organize uh, a library and media center at a small school in Soldovia, Alaska. So we were there for a year and uh, didn't didn't do well in the winter. <laughs> so we returned to Oregon. Uh, Glenn got his master, second master's degree in library science from the University of Oregon. And I was the elementary school librarian at the Central Lynn School District for two years. Um, in the midst uh, of the gas crunch at that time, you know, 73. 
I was driving from Salem to, to Halsey and it was just too much with the, the difficulty of getting gas to, to do it. And Glenn was hired as the uh, library media specialist at Chemeketa Community College. So that was, that was his main job there until 1981, and then he began doing winemaking and that job. Uh, he was there 30 years and, and then retired, and we intended to uh, do world travel. At the same time that we, that we started our winery, we also started our family. We had adopted a, little, a baby boy, uh, Ken, and uh, Three years later, no, it was longer than that. Five years later, we adopted Stephanie. She was three years old. And so we had our, our two kids. And then at the point uh, that we decided we were gonna retire and travel, we adopted our grandson, Ross. And uh, so, at that point, we decided maybe world travel with a baby wasn't too, too smart. So we uh, bought an RV and traveled the United States in our RV for, oh, about nine years, eight, eight or nine years, and uh, homeschooled Ross. And uh, then we thought, well, noticed a lot of times uh, RV parks don't want you there full time with a minor child. So we began looking for some place where if we had to stop and be permanent someplace, they would, couldn't throw us out. So we ended up in a, uh, a small town in Arizona, Congress, Arizona, uh, in a, a, a community belonging to the Escapees RV Club. When, our, when Ross be, was of an age to uh, be in high school, we put him in a private school there, and he graduated well and uh, went on went, went on his way. He uh, worked for a while during COVID and is still going, taking college classes and working. Mm -hmm. So that's and uh, our our son. Uh, our, our older son, Ken, is working for Forest River. Mm -hmm. And our daughter is about to embark on a, a degree in to become a pharmacist. She's been working as a pharmacy tech for, for some years and decided she wants to move up. That's quite a journey. It was an interesting, interesting journey. <laughs> um, so uh, we had plans for more world travel now that Ross had left the nest, but uh, my husband uh, had some heart issues in uh, 2021 and died in early 2022 because they, they couldn't seem to get him stabilized. And so I'm, I'm staying in, in Arizona, but coming back and forth to Oregon from time to time to visit and probably, probably end up here permanently sometime to be near one of my children. I want to back up to the, we have lots of wine to talk about, but before that there's so much else to talk about. I want to back up to the decision to go into li to the library side of things, obviously something near and dear to us here in the library. So tell me how that became a focus for both you and Glenn. 
from the time I was in about the fifth grade, I knew I wanted to be a librarian. I, I, I was totally focused on that. So many kids, you know, they don't have an idea. They, they go to university and they don't even know then. But you know, I was, I was sure that was what I wanted to do. Uh, I went into the elementary education because I thought, well, if I have to work for a while before I can go to graduate school, then I would have uh, a career there. Uh, but I was fortunate that uh, my great grand, my my grandfather's brother, who had no children, left money when I was like two years old. He died and left money to all of his brothers, his brother's children, and his brother's grandchildren, at, earmarked for education for the grandchildren. And so uh, he paid my way through graduate school. <laughs> and tell me about your experiences as a librarian. Well. Um, buried. <laughs> uh, because I had a, already had my degree in elementary education, I focused on elementary school libraries. So uh, I worked uh, at Central Lynn School District in their three small um, elementary schools. I worked for the um, Salem School District as a cataloger and, and then uh, I, I worked at uh, a couple of elementary schools uh, part-time there and I substituted extensively uh, when we were starting the winery and before uh, and then I was the, like the manager of the winery because Glenn kept his job at Chemeketa did I say he was working at Chemeketa? <laughs> okay <laughs> after we decided that we were going to close the winery um, I was hired at Chemeketa as a reference librarian. And I'd already been doing cataloging there uh, because I had experience doing cataloging and they needed someone to catalog media uh, materials. That is all over the map of librarianship. That's <laughs> and then I worked as a reference librarian there uh, part-time, several years, uh, evenings and then uh, during the... Uh, beginning of one of the school years, they had one of the librarians uh, resign right at the beginning of the school year. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's about my experience with, with reference, being a reference librarian. But, um, but on the uh, recreational side, I became very interested in, in genealogy when I was in uh, late elementary school, my auntie was working on the family tree and she got me interested. And so I've worked extensively on my family tree and Glenn on his. Uh, he worked on it too. And uh, we've had lots of interesting experiences doing that. What were some of your sort of, what was your sort of favorite part of being a librarian or favorite, maybe favorite level? Did you enjoy elementary school? Did you enjoy college? What was the, the best part? I, well, I enjoyed the elementary school, but it, there was more uh, behavior management there. <laughs> uh, and uh, I really enjoyed the work that I did at Chemeketa uh, as a reference librarian. It, w it was fun to help the, the different students with their projects and the teachers and uh, taught some classes in how to use the library and that sort of thing. You mentioned, you mentioned the genealogy and some interesting experiences. Tell me about some of that. In our RV travels, we went to a lot of places. Um, 
uh, where members of our family had lived. And we, we were in uh, Falkton, South Dakota one year uh, and couldn't figure out where the cemetery was. This is a little tiny town in eastern South Dakota. And so we saw that there was some kind of a meeting at one of the churches. So I got out and went in and I said, can you tell us where the cemetery is? And so uh, they, one of the ladies told us which road to turn on and everything. And one of the other ladies there said, um, what, what family are you looking for? Turned out she was a cousin. <laughs> but that, that part of the family stayed in South Dakota. My part of the family moved to Oregon in the 30s. So uh, we weren't well acquainted with a lot of them. It's pretty incredible. And we walked in on, we walked in on uh, one of uh, Glenn's cousins. Her husband had a, a junkyard and they lived right next door. And so uh, we, we just drove in there and, and asked for her. and. Uh, they had never met. <laughs> she was so really surprised. <laughs> but that acquainted us. That her her uh, parents had, I think, eleven or twelve children, and so they invited us to go to lunch with them and go around to the cemeteries and see the grave sites of that part of the family. And so we got acquainted with them. It's incredible. Serendipitous. Serendipitous. <laughs> I see where this is going. Yeah. So uh, tell me about what's what's we'll talk about. We talked about kind of the entrance to wine. So tell me about your initial interest in. You mentioned kind of dabbling in tasting and dabbling in making wine. What was the initial interest? What got you kind of started down the wine path? Um, gosh, I don't know. There was there was this neat little wine shop in Eugene that we used to go to and buy wine. Tasted different ones and just were interested in, in the different varieties and uh, and then we got involved on the, the harvest tours that the Oregon Wine Growers Association had. I, I don't even know if it was called that then. But uh, they would they would have uh, buses um, from in McMinnville we met at a was it a, I can't remember now if it was a school or a church and left our cars there, and then they took us around to the vineyards, various vineyards and the wineries. The winery that was called Knudsen Erath then, they had lunch and they had tasting and sales, so that it wasn't, you know, you weren't lugging it all around. They waited till the end to, to have it all, that all available. And we did that a couple of years. And then, and then the incident with Myron Redford at Amity happened, <laughs> and uh, and we uh, volunteered there at well Glenn more during Crush. I can't remember if I ever helped during Crush or not, but uh, he did, and we helped with bottling and at the uh, wine festivals, and, and they they helped us get started, uh, and came down and helped when we had our first release of wine. Uh, that was kind of interesting because we, we were the first winery in Polk County. So the, the, uh, the county wasn't really too sure about a winery and drinking and all that. And so part of the conditional use permit we had, there was, we were only permitted two vehicles besides our own at any one time on our property. <laughs> So we couldn't really have a wine release there. So we made an agreement with uh, Mrs. Richards, uh, what was her name? 
well, Mrs. Richards at Richards Store at the intersection of uh, 99W and Airlie and Suver Roads to have the, our first release there. So uh, we, did, we did that in, uh, I can't tell you, it was in the summer of 1982. Ellendale also started that the same year we did 81 but they had they had they they started after we did but they made wine that year and then uh, there were a lot of vineyards in Polk County at that time but without wineries really associated with them but in uh, two or three years there be were, there were more wineries and so the county became more aware of what uh, wine tasting rooms uh, were like, and it, it wasn't drunken orgies or anything like that. <laughs> um, so it, we were then allowed to have uh, more cars there at any one time. Uh, and I think that was like in, I think they lifted all that in like 1983, probably. And that was the year, I don't know, see, did Bethel Heights start in 83 or 84? They were one of the other earlier, early ones. And we, we bought grapes from them until they started their own winery. Uh, Shannon Blanc and Pinot. And that was the, the, first, uh, the first Polk County Appalachian Pinot Noir was from Bethel Heights Vineyard. I don't know if I said that already. <laughs> Might have. So tell me about the tell me about working with Myron and, and, and volunteering with Myron and seeing sort of commercial commercial winemaking for the for the first time. What was what did you sort of think of the experience of making wine on a commercial level, and what made you to think that you could do it as well? Well, um, Amity Vineyards was still pretty small at that point, uh, and we could see that that uh, Myron was pretty much. Doing, doing it with the help of one or two other people and volunteers, <laughs> of course. And so we thought, well, we could start small and depend on volunteers too. And so uh, that's kind of how, how we started. And we had helped up there, Glenn especially, with all aspects of winemaking. And we uh, went to uh, down to Davis, California, and took the the commercial winemaking preparatory course that uh, was a week or, was it, I don't know if it was a week long or two weeks long, just a short, short course. 1979, we bought a half a ton of Pinot Noir as home winemakers and tried what a bigger scale would be than just uh, carboys. <laughs> and I think we bought Riesling. I think we went and picked Riesling someplace. Uh, yeah, we did. It was at uh, Don Byard. Uh, Hidden Springs. Hidden Springs, yes. Uh, uh, we, we went and picked grapes and made a little bit of Riesling. How did the early wines turn out? Well, we made some mistakes with the Riesling. Bad measurement of yeast and something else and it didn't turn out too well. We did drink it all but fortunately there wasn't very much <laughs> and the the, uh, the Pinot Noir turned out better. That was our, our older son Ken's birth year and when he was 21 we still had one bottle of that left that uh, served for his birthday. <laughs>
And that was also the, uh, 79 was the year we bought our property out on Dunn Forest Road in Polk County, uh, where we had our winery. So I'm curious about, you mentioned obviously being so early in Polk County and then not really having an idea what to do with you yet. Tell me about getting the business started and, and finding a name and, and finding customers and all of that. What, were the, what was it like sort of selling wine and, and making a brand in, in that time? The name of the winery, Serendipity Cellars, was my husband's idea because he thought it was a, a happy accident. <laughs> and uh, most of the other wineries at that time were named for people or places. And uh, we wanted to be different. <laughs> We had our first release there at Richard's store. Before we approached distributors, that came later, um, I, w I went around to various places and, and sold wine. Uh, we started in the Corvallis and Salem areas, and uh, Roth's stores were one of our first customers. Say, let's see, in Corvallis, there was a, uh, a wine shop deli type place in the uh, Cannery Mall shopping center there was one of the first places to sell our wine in Corvallis and uh, the uh, in the Reed Opera House had a, a wine shop in the lower area and I think there's a restaurant in there now um, but those were two of the first places. Did you find there was a did you find there was a lot of demand for local wine? Did you find customers were excited about local wine or, or the shops were? Yes, yes. They were very anxious to get the, the local wines. Um, uh, we, we didn't have too much success with grocery stores because they seemed to want um, wines that were already well known. And being in wine shops, then they would have tastings and uh, it helped people get acquainted with the wine in their local area instead of having to come out to the winery to the tasting room. And then later, uh, I would uh, ha had a list of, of stores in the Portland area, that uh, wine shops. One uh, wine shop did, did some tastings there. And then uh, the owner of that wine shop later worked for, as a wine, when they started having wine stewards in the Safeway stores started working there after he sold his wine shop. Safeway really uh, uh, promoted the Oregon wines. They started having uh, uh, wine stewards to and wine tastings and on the weekends in the stores. And this fellow who had, formerly had had a wine shop was one of them. And Leslie, her parents had. Uh, uh, Ellendale Vineyards, and so she she knew about wine from that, and she was one of the, the early ones. You mentioned you mentioned that you you started off as a vineyard and winery, and later just just a winery. Uh, tell me about the growth and evolution of Serendipity. How how did it grow, and what were some of the sort of decisions along the way? Well, um, we started out. Uh, we were bonded in 1981. We were the first winery, bonded winery in Polk County. Uh, modern winery. Mm -hmm. I guess there were some real pre-prohibition probably. <laughs> uh, we started out like everyone else making Pinot Noir. We had all those different styles of Pinot Noir and then we realized that 
everybody was making Pinot Noir and we thought maybe we needed a different niche. And so that's why we started with uh, Mueller Turgau and Marichal Foch and continued to make Chenin Blanc uh, for a while. Uh, uh, we were initially buying from Bethel Heights before they started their winery and then uh, we didn't want to buy from we didn't want to buy the same varietal from them that they were also making. So um, we found another source, a vineyard down in the Eugene area that we bought Chenin Blanc from for a while, but um, eventually we decided we would concentrate on Marichal Foch and Mueller Turgau. Uh, although in various years we made, we made Pinot Noir for three years, 81, 82, and 83 and then stopped. Uh, that was when, that must be when Bethel Heights started their winery. We made smaller amounts of Chardonnay, but eventually Marichal Foch became so popular uh, as, as a heavier red, uh, which were, not a lot of Oregon wineries were making. And, and there were a few down in the uh, Rogue Valley area, but uh, not in the Willamette Valley. How big did you get? How many, how, what was like the, the, big, the most cases you made? I don't know. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I think maybe 5,000 gallons or less. How much, how, I, guess, I guess the question really is how much help did you need beyond, beyond the two of you? It, uh, it was the two of us and we had our, our two children and as they got older they did help. Uh, and we had a long list of volunteers. Some some who helped a lot, some who helped once or twice, just to see how it was done. Uh, my mom and her husband helped some too, uh, but they were older, so not as much. They, they would come, when we had wine festivals, they would come and help pour wine and uh, sell, sell bottles and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, we, uh, as I recall, we had only one person that we paid ever. So it was all, almost all volunteers and, we, and hard work ourselves. And that was one of the reasons why we stopped because uh, Glenn's was, his hands were getting uh, arthritis uh, and he couldn't do, easily do some of the, especially labeling, which we did all by hand. The last year we made not wine was 1999. I actually just recovered some of that. Um, Honeywood Winery took some of our wine to sell in their tasting room when we closed our tasting room. <clears throat> and they still had some, which I picked up from them uh, this week, <laughs> as a matter of fact. And it's uh, a, the later vintages, which I didn't have any of. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to taste taste some of those. We had, uh, we were one of the first wineries to make a port wine, port style wine too, which we called Newport. <laughs> there was some of that and some Marichal Foch from 1999. You mentioned wine festivals, obviously a, a big part of the growth of the Oregon wine industry in those years were all the different various wine festivals. Tell me about, do you have any memories of those, of, of, of customers or of events that were, that were particularly memorable? Well, Newport was the biggest one. Uh, that was the first one we did, 83. 
was probably the first year we did it. That's the, the Seafood and Wine Festival? Seafood and Wine Festival, when it was, it was at the fairgrounds, I think. I know it's, it started, started in one place and then they moved it someplace else and I don't really, it was in a tent later on. But that was one of the first ones. Uh, always well, well attended. Lots of people came, especially if it was rainy at the beach. <laughs> I always was glad when we could get some other people to help because that was usually held on my birthday weekend and I didn't want to do that for my birthday. <laughs> uh, but we were close enough there that uh, we could c come back to the winery and get more wine, which happened several times. We couldn't haul enough in our little car that we had. And uh, I also remember another one, uh, a smaller festival, and I, I don't really remember where, where it was, but it was not well attended. <laughs> and some uh, fellows came in there and they st stopped at uh, the first booth and asked a question and didn't taste any wine. They went to the next one and I obviously asked the same question. They got to us and said, you got any of that 2020 stuff? <laughs> no, they went on to the next one. <laughs> they were looking for some fortified alcohol, uh, alcoholic, more alcoholic wine. And I can remember some, some festivals that we went to that we really didn't, it didn't really pay what it cost us to be there. But I think it was, good for the for our exposure in that market later because people remembered oh yeah they were at that wine festival we tasted their wine there and then they would buy it if we could get it into a store in their area how, how much did oregon consumers know about wine at that point well there were some fairly knowledgeable people i think because of all the california wines and the proximity of going to California and visiting the wineries there. And there were people who did do that and, and uh, knew more about wine. But it seems to me like in 1981, there were like maybe 20 wineries. Somewhere around there. And it just exploded from there. <laughs> Especially after, after we stopped. There really weren't that many in 1999, but now they, some of the rules about making and selling wine have changed since then to make it easier for the smaller wineries to market their wines. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, about the changes you saw. So obviously about 20 years of, of being in the industry and making wine, how did, the, how did you see the industry grow up while you were involved in it? It, it really, took off after, at that point. Um, there were so many vineyards, that, and that's about when a lot of them matured uh, and were able to, to be, have grapes to sell. And uh, we, uh, we did our own marketing for a long time because we didn't feel like we could afford to pay to get half what what the retail price was, which is about what you get from a, from a distributor. A distributor in Corvallis, I think, was the first, uh, the first one we had, Dumont Distributing. For a while, we had a, <clears throat> just a, an individual who was marketing wine. It, that didn't work out too well. 
and then later on we went with uh, McClaskey's in Portland and that really opened things up because they had affiliations with uh, distributors in other parts of the state that we were able to get our wines with. I would go around to the stores uh, sometimes with my daughter Stephanie when she was preschool age <laughs> she was really good about staying right by me when I was be talking to the wine buyers and we were it was mostly uh, wine shops at that point not grocery stores you talked about how some of the some of the rules have changed a little bit for smaller wineries what were some of the you mentioned obviously the, the Polk County hurdles were there other kind of hurdles you had to overcome being kind of early adopters of Oregon wine making um, well, there were, there were not as many distributors, for one thing. Um, at, at least ones who were willing to take a chance on a new winery and unknown wines. And since we had Mueller Turgau and Marichal Foch, which were two fairly unknown wines at that point, uh, we, we did our own marketing for a long time. And <clears throat> I think, uh, as the winery industry has grown, I think more of the smaller wineries are able to sell a lot of their wine directly to the consumers instead of going through distribution. Tell me about some of the other people you met in the industry. Obviously, you mentioned Myron being the sort of the gatekeeper for you. Yeah. Who else did you kind of interact with? Who are some of the other people you have memories of, of working with? Well, the, the Polk County Wineries Association, Marilyn Webb and the Terry and uh, Ted, <laughs> I can think of Ted Castile and, and Marilyn. Um, well, we had, were buying grapes from them, so we were acquainted with them. And uh, they had, their, their children were not too much older than ours. And uh, Ellendale, Tom Dumb, he had a winery in the Eola Hills area there, which can't remember the name of it right off the top of my head. <laughs> Been a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a little local association of Polk and Marion County wineries, so we included uh, Honeywood, Silver Falls, and those are the ones I, those are the two that I remember that were in Marion County. Yeah, there weren't many. <laughs> there weren't, there weren't many. Uh, we used to, we used to have our association meetings at Honeywood kind of, uh, they, they had a bigger facility and were more centrally located for, for having meetings. We were kind of the f pretty much the farthest away of that group. Uh, and as I said, Ellendale started that the same year that we did. And then Bethel Heights must have started in 83 or 84. And then there was a uh, fruit winery up there in the Eola Hills. And I I don't remember the name of it now, but it was an older fellow who had a cherry orchard, and he was making some fruit wines. Of course, Honeywood was mainly fruit wines at that point, and they later branched out into varietals, grape wines. At the association meetings, uh, what were some of the, what were the primary concerns? What were you trying to accomplish as an association? Trying to figure out events to uh, promote our wines as a group. And but we had a, a tour called the Tatvan Tour, and Tatvan is this little tasting, flat tasting cup thing, and we 
had those for sale <laughs> as a kind of a uh, come on, I guess, and uh, had maps uh, around to the various wineries. Uh, was like Serendipity Cellars and Ellen Ale and later, and then Bethel Heights started soon after. Uh, Eola Hills, Hidden Springs. Hidden Springs was one of the earlier ones too. But we, we had a little passport that people had got stamped or signed at the various wineries. And, uh, I don't remember what the point of that was. If they got a, if they had a certain number, they got a free one of the little tasting cups. I don't. <laughs> so uh, obviously you've been out of the industry for a bit, but I'm I'm curious, sort of as you see what has become of the Oregon wine industry. Uh, tell me about sort of looking back at the at the at the piece you played in it and, and and what it's become now. How does it sort of make you feel as you look back on the time that you spent in it? Well, it's uh, you know we we were the first winery to make Marichal Foch in the West, and uh, now there are several other wineries uh, that are making it. Uh, uh, well, Honeywood for one, Coelho I think is making it. The Shad's Winery. I can't remember what the name of it is. I think it's just Shad. I think it's just Shad Winery. Yeah. 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 They. Um, uh, that's kind of interesting because uh, Lou Shad, the father of the family, was my chemistry teacher in high school in Corvallis, and they started and and we attended the same church in Corvallis, and so I kind of kind of knew their kids, and they they used to come around at Thanksgiving weekend when we always had big tasting and sales uh, with their whole family. Uh, to taste wine and buy wine, and, and uh, so Tom and his brother, I can't think of his name, um, decided they wanted to make Marichal Foch, <laughs> and so they were one of the first ones after us to make it when they started their winery at, in uh, McMinnville at their Dad's old family farm. We were actually at a, at a winery down in Springfield last year that was making Marichal Foch also. Yeah, there's it. It's out there. Yeah, we started it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it, it's kind of fun. And people used to bring us Marichal Foch from the Midwest if they'd been visiting in the Midwest and found some there because it was made extensively because it's an early ripening grape and more hardy than some. Well, you've already talked a little bit about kind of what's next for you, so is there anything else sort of that you're looking ahead to for yourself now uh, in the upcoming future? Um, I, I'm just retired in Arizona. I'm fairly active in my church down there and in, my, uh, in the escapees group. Uh, where I live in the escapees park there. and. Uh, uh, Kind of looking around up here for a retirement place close that'll be close to one of my kids for, for for the next stage of retirement. Well, then, last question for you. Uh, obviously, uh, looking back on, on on time in in the Oregon wine industry, what are you proudest of? What do you look back on most fondly? We went our own way in making some varietal wines that were unusual at the time but have grown in popularity, Marichal Foch being the main one, but also Mueller-Turgau, uh, which does very well in this climate. And I think being, being kind of a trailblazer in those areas, we were also one of, I think, 
one of the first wineries that did not have a vineyard. That we were buying grapes from the numerous vineyards that had been established there, uh, mostly small ones. That's something to be proud of for sure. I like that. Well, that's all the questions that I have for you. Uh, is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything that we didn't cover here today that you'd like to cover? Mm -hmm. No, I don't think so. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your stories with us. I look forward to seeing what you have here in the, in the, 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 the folder over here. I'm excited about that. Uh, thanks for taking the time to come with us, and uh, we'll let you off the hook. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. With a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.